are, as you've just read, uh, Lula wins our Brazil special. So if you're not familiar, there is a presidential candidate called uh, Lula da Silva, and he's just won the elections, uh, the runoff elections in Brazil uh, as of uh, late last night, I believe. Um, so hello, everyone. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? Hello, Rich. I'm very good. How are you? Great. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about. So, Chris, what's the first thing you want to mention about this? What's the first thing that comes to mind with Lula's victory over Bolsonaro? So, I just want to sort of look at it from the angle of this sort of second resurgence of this pink tide. Obviously, it's, a, it's quite an mm. exciting time in uh, Latin America, particularly Lula, who is a man that the Washington Times once called the best friends of tyrants worldwide, which is a, a, a description of a person that's bound to at least drive some interest towards character. Uh, I don't know about yourself, but usually when the New York Times decides that somebody's a bad guy, that instantly draws me to them. So I just want to have a look mm. a little bit deeper into mm. this person. I know there's a lot mm. to praise with Lula and his previous presidency. There's also a lot to criticize. Um, he's mm. not... Just sort of emphasize on that. There's a reason why we call it the pink tide. And there's a reason why I, why I myself call it a pink tide. And I feel like it is the correct answer. I'm not sure whether it actually is, but it's not quite red. It's it's watered mm -hmm. down. If, if your red tide was your wave of Marxist-Leninist uh, states taking uh, Southeast Asia one at a time through the 70s, this isn't that. This is It's a watered down. It's not quite, therefore, pink. And I hope mm -hmm. that is the correct answer. In my head, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no some good points uh, yeah I, I do think that's a, a good point to mention is the pink tide yeah so other um south american governments who have seen the election or the re-emergence of a, a left wing a leftist um organization some socialists some uh, not many communists in fact yeah so no communists no communist parties and i guess that's why you, yeah, you could say it's a red uh, not red tide, it's a pink tide. Um, yeah. Yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind been, going through the list. There have been yeah. communists in these parties who have got in. Um, I believe right. Peru's party advertises itself on the core as a, as a communist party to some degree, which mm -hmm. I always found interesting that it actually uses a pencil as its logo, which mm. was as, as sort of mm. differentiated mm. as you can get. Well, um, actually, I think come back to the... Uh, Come back to the other parties later, actually, the, 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 what else is going on, who else is in South America and what they've been picked up for um, or what they've been elected for. Um, but, yeah, I think you made an interesting point, though, about the popularity. So I didn't hear about this comment of him being um, a, uh, a friend of, 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 of you know, nefarious characters or Pirates. dictators <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, but um, there's a nice soundbite, which I might play later. Um, apparently, uh, he was one of the most popular leaders around the world. So... Um, if you polled uh, someone or groups of people around the world, different countries, not Brazilians, not just Brazilians. Obviously, he was very popular in Brazil, but um, he was very popular around the world. Um, yeah, there's a nice clip of, of Obama uh, meeting with uh, Lula on, on stage. He says, ah, oh, this is the most popular political leader in the world right now. And it's like when he taps <laughs> on the shoulder, sort of gives him a thumbs up or whatever. But um, I must say, the guy does have actually an extraordinary um, sort of path of how he got to where he is now. Um, so he started in the 1980s as a uh, trade unionist, um, uh, you know, representing the workers, set up the Workers' Party back when it was under the dictatorship, the right-wing dictatorship of Brazil. 
uh, and then lost all these elections. You know, he, he didn't, he ran for the first time, I think, uh, let me just check here. The, yeah, the first time he ran was 1989, he failed, ran again 94, failed, ran again 98, failed. And then in the 2002 races where he, he broke in and sort of then became president, served two terms, goes to jail, uh, and then comes back and wins again. <laughs> it's quite a journey. I mean, it's quite a journey yes. to be, if you think about the tenacity of, of, of the leader, um, that's quite a tenacious leader. To, to it is. And it's, I imagine yeah. it's quite a, a slap in the face to Bolsonaro, who, who has just been beaten by the man that he helped lock up. Right, 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 right. And also to have only one term. It's, um, from what I've yeah. read, unusual in um, uh, Brazilian politics to only serve one term, similar to American politics in that sense yeah. then. Um, the two terms being the standard. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, I think what's, I mean, there's loads of things. We, as, as always, we've bitten off more than we can sort of maybe chew. Um, so we have to try and cover a big piece of ground. Um, just some statistics. Obviously, there's, there's 217 million people in Brazil. So it's a very big country. Um, but as the results stand, uh, De Silva, Lula, received 48.4% um, at the first round. So remember that he... That this is the second round. This is the runoff. So back at the start of October, uh, Lula received 48.4% of the votes. And Bolsonaro, who's been described as a right-wing um, Trump of the tropics kind of character, um, yeah. with 43.23%. So I, to be honest, I'm not that surprised at the win. I mean, there was a lot of um, concern, and it did get close to the wire. But he had a 5% lead on him at the start of the month. All the polling said that he was going to be the winner, um, you know, for a long time. Going, if you look further back, the the the, the difference between the two was very was very wide um, back in January or February when they polled who would win the election, um, and that generally does tell you who's going to win because as you get closer to elections, doesn't matter where you are, generally the polling comes tighter, um, but it, it's that first instance which gives you the sort of more. I don't know, at least in my opinion, I think it's when you can see a strong kick, the stronger candidate. So I think yeah. the expression that I read was, it was, um, it was, uh, it was Lula's race to lose. So in the sense that only he could kind of lose it, um, not in the sense that Bolsonaro could win it. It's more yeah. that uh, Lula had to do something wrong in order to lose rather than Bolsonaro win, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Wait, wait, these two characters. Ahead. It shows that they were they st their starting positions that they're already a million miles away from each other. You've got obviously Bolsonaro, mm -hmm. who is a uh, former military captain, and Lula, mm. who is a trade union worker. I can't mm. imagine any sort of situation where anybody who's really into politics would be that there can't really be much of a middle camp between the two. This these mm. seems like mm. Bolsonaro. Obviously, if we want to use an American. Um, sort of an analogy, he's sort of these are sort of MAGA Republicans that are appealed to him. He was that sort of mm. Uh, mm. right wing populist. Some mm. in the West called him fascist, which I always find very lazy sort of comparison when you call it's easy to call right any right wing populist a fascist, but fascists mm. tend to not get uh, tend to not lose elections very easily. <laughs> That's what kind of makes them fascist. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I think that's that's an important thing is that whenever people talk about politics, they generally try and find their sort of point of reference to try and compare it to sort of say, well, what's the similar to? And yeah. 
there's obviously this easy thing to say Trump of the tropics, Bolsonaro is Trump, uh, therefore uh, Lula is the Democrats. And that doesn't really, yeah. it works maybe a little bit in some respects with how, yeah, Bolsonaro is a populist uh, appealing to evangelicals, appealing to gun rights, uh, anti-abortion, really terrible line on, on, yeah. on COVID. Anti-communist. And, and communists, of course. And yeah, then, yes, ex-military and whatever. Um, so you can draw some of those comparisons. So you're waiting for this man to drive away. Um, uh, but then also, I mean, from my perspective, I think I can see a lot of similarities with South Africa. So you have a country with a huge uh, poor population, very unequal society, a very racialized society. It's obviously a former colony. Um, and then it's a part of BRICS, a developing nation in that sense, uh, resource rich, uh, and then dealing with lots of corruption. So actually, in that sense, you can see a lot of parallels, parallels with South Africa. But then, you know, you can see parallels in some ways with this and then start parallels with something else. I mean, you can see with Venezuela being a South American nation and of course being um, commodity, focusing on commodities, exporting commodities, um, being integral to their economy. So yeah, I, I, it's useful to use external and other uh, examples to highlight similarities, but at the end of the day, also Brazil is its own thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's the, a good point to make on that one. I wanted to play a quick one on uh, a quick one from Vox, which they they made a nice graphic showing how um, Lula and Bolsonaro uh, campaigned and where their support is. Uh, so I'll just push it up quickly now because it is quite interesting to see uh, how um, Lula got so popular. Basically, <laughs> um, very popular guy, uh, one of the most popular presidents in the world, um, if you take a look at this. Politics has changed, and the story of Lula's career is a good way to see exactly how. Lula's left-wing politics are rooted in his days as a factory worker and a union leader. That's where he began his career as a politician. During Brazil's military dictatorship, Lula led massive strikes and protests. By the 1980s, he had helped organize thousands of trade union supporters into a political party, the Workers' Party, or the PT. 99% of people are living... Sorry, excuse this um, crap advert. Lula's coalition drew mainly from Brazil's political left. It included the working class, low-income people, left-leaning Catholic voters, Afro-Brazilians, and indigenous people. Uh, this is a pretty unique arrangement of forces. In my opinion, it's one of the things that allowed the Workers' Party to grow and become so strong. In 1989, Lula ran as his party's candidate for president. He made it to the second round and lost by only 4 million votes. Then he lost again in 1994 and again in 1998. His base was growing, but not yet enough for him to win a presidential election. During much of this time, Brazil was experiencing an economic crisis. We'll jump ahead slightly. So this talks about the early 2000s and the commodity drops and whatnot uh, later. So I'm going to jump ahead here. Jose Alencar as his running mate. By including them, Lula expanded his coalition attracting the support of center-right voters, like business owners and bankers. Lula is this guy that he can go to a board meeting. So yeah, I think that sort of makes the point I wanted to get across, which is that 
even though he starts out as a union worker, he does appeal and grow his coalition. So yes, he has the working class. Yes, he has the general poor, um, but he does appeal to business um, in some respects, to the center um, in some yeah. respects, um, which which is interesting, which is obviously, um, I mean, now that we've done this, uh, our sort of streams on, on labor, as well as obviously talking about, you know, politics in general, when it comes to winning uh, these types of elections, you, it seems uh, that you have to appeal in some respect, at least to, to some element of the center, or at least enough um, of those swing voters. I mean, it, it seems that Lula did at least, I mean, it's possible yeah. to win without that, but, but uh, it does seem that uh, very few candidates are able to, that Lula certainly um, was appealing to the working sort of standard working class vote in the beginning. Um, he didn't, have enough to win and then obviously water down, I guess, um, his policies or at least make them more palatable um, to to the center um, later on. Yeah, uh, one thing that's got to point out there in that video, which I thought was a very interesting point, something that uh, a point that I try and highlight to people as much as physically possible. Mm. They mentioned that he was appealing to the Christian left. Now, there seems to be a huge debate amongst um, the Western leftists of how um, socialists should approach religion and the religious, mm. whether uh, accusations of pandering, are you trying to make any sort of Marxism appeal to Christians, accusations that mm -hmm. Jesus was a communist, Mohammed set up a welfare system. Um, are, are, is this historical revisionism just for the sake of winning over the religious? I would say mm -hmm. yes. And that is a good thing. We've seen failures of Marxist-Leninist states in the past where they have attempted to eradicate religion, what I would accuse, too quickly. I'm mm. always of the opinion that you don't attack religion. You make the conditions of the religious that good that they don't need the institutions anymore. The mm. idea of liberation theology, which emerged in the, in the 50s and 60s in, in Latin America, was mm. allowed to flourish and was adopted by all by these groups. So when Bolsonaro was around in this election, claiming to be the protector of religion, it doesn't have the same effect that it would have done in Europe in the from the fifties onwards, when it was either us or the godless communists, because <laughs> it, it left sort of embrace them as well and and highlight these socialist philosophies in religion. That, in mm -hmm. my eyes, that is only a good thing, and it is something that. Mm -hmm. Mm, that mm, these movements mm, did well, that the rest mm, should embrace. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, particularly in South America, the relationship between the left and uh, the Christians, particularly or Catholics and whatnot, is a strong relationship. Um, yeah. yeah. And you do have lots of examples of that. You've got um, uh, um, Morales, Eva Morales, giving the Pope the, the crucifix that was hammer and sickle, hammer and sickle crucifix. But there's also loads of other examples. I mean, you have um, in Nicaragua, lots well, of the Francis, priests. Pope Francis himself Pope Francis. was, he, Francis he, himself. he was educated through this liberation theology. He was, mm, he was an early mm. practitioner of it. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's, it's, it's something that should be considered. Absolutely. The, um, the role that, yeah, the, the potential role that you can in galvanizing people to join a left-wing cause or a left-wing movement or whatever, um, you know, it doesn't have to be such a, a hard and cast sort of thing that we have to sort of go straight for the uh, atheist uh, yeah. sort of deeply 
theoretical sort of uh, enlightenment ideas and, and cast away all the all of the the you know the ideas that are still being practiced by the majority yeah. of the working class. It's a hard thing to attack. Right. If you attack someone's belief, they instantly recoil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, and, and again, a tactics, right? Should you yeah. really should you know if you're fighting imperialism, you're fighting big capital, you're fighting, or even a, a, a sort of comprador bourgeois, do you really need to start the war on? On, 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 on unraveling uh, feudal feudalistic sort of religion yeah. at that time is that the right time for that discussion you know exactly. when, when, you, when you bank you're, and a church at the same time yeah yeah and when you've got poverty and stuff I don't know. should we really go straight for the theology <laughs> no it's not a tactical decision right it's not a good idea um yeah. at least i don't think so i think you agree with me chris but yeah uh <laughs> yeah um i have this nice little comment which i'm going to pay, play here which is yes it is about uh, it's showing Lula with Obama and the fact that he was the most popular politician on the planet. So let me just play that quickly. Uh, here we go. So was the president's approval rating? The most popular politician on earth. There you go. Most popular politician on earth. And yeah, as you saw there, the, the approval rating was 87% at one point and, and perhaps not even higher, um, which... Obviously, as we now know, only only the the CPC central government has yeah. <laughs> a higher approval rating. Thanks to Harvard, Harvard said that. Um, yeah. Thank you, Harvard. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I did think it was a funny comment, an interesting comment actually, that you'd hear Obama even say that. And I think that's an interesting sort of um, thing to talk about is the relationship with the U.S. and the relationship with China, um, because you know under. Um, under his party, the Workers' Party, so him as well as then uh, Delma Rousseff later, they go on to join BRICS and be, you know, the first letter, Brazil, B, Brazil, uh, of the BRICS coalition. Um, and I think that's an important part is that the U.S., uh, it didn't seem to me that the U.S. has a, has a, I don't know, a clear strategy in terms of containing these guys because they've been able to go and link up with, with, with China, with Russia, with, with India, uh, and make BRICS, which is, you know, a, a counterpoint to the IMF, to the World Bank, to the sort of Washington consensus. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's good. That's, that's a good thing. And as we discussed in a previous episode on the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, it is mm. very quickly becoming a arm of that in terms of mm. helping to sort of rebalance the power of the world in this sort of multipolarism that we like to come back to. This Lula was very much one of these early sort of pioneers of this in this sort of wave of that we've seen of that since the Cold War. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 certainly interesting, and I think I'm going to play some stuff from um, so Noam Chomsky and Vijay Prashad uh, were interviewed by Democracy Now and talk before the result came out. So this was a few weeks ago when the when the runoff had started. But I mean, the point still stands as to. Um, you know, their, their comments about this. And, and that, that's exactly what they did say. Obviously, Chomsky was quite, um, you know, his first go-to point that he made was that the the environment, the climate. So the, the big thing here, of course, with climate change is you've got the Amazon. And under Bolsonaro, that was basically a, a policy of take what you want, you know, farm it, yeah. burn it, mine it. Uh, we don't care. Um, yeah. un under the, I don't, I don't want to be too simplistic. The the argument was that it was for jobs. These people needed jobs, and there was yeah. no made it to be had. He did actually um, say some quite words. I remember him actually saying, I believe I'm paraphrasing, but not by much. Like, we don't owe the world anything regarding the Amazon. Mm -hmm. I mean, it mm -hmm. is our natural mm -hmm. resource to, to burn as we wish. 
And mm, mm, it's very, yeah. very blindsided, even for the most sort of egregious sort of capitalists. Most world capitalist governments now like to have some mm. sort of aesthetic of pretending to care. He just didn't mm. care about the environment mm. at all. And he was very much just showing that it was a fire sale open for any business that wants to come. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I mean, there's a couple other con comments. The guy was quite, I mean, I agree that sort of thing saying calling someone a fascist just willy nilly is a bit lazy uh, and yeah. not a good idea as well, because, you know, boy who cries wolf kind of stuff. Uh, but he did, he did say some pretty terrible stuff and he did have a very close relationship with the military. I mean, he was a, a former he officer. He kept um, pictures of the uh, dictatorship era leaders on in his in his office at Congress. So he's a congressman. Yeah. He was an officer, military officer, became a, a congressman and then, um, you know, ran for president one. Uh, but he's also got some comments about the woman that, that, you know, even if I wanted to rape you, you're not my type. You're not fit enough. Um, yeah. He said some really negative yeah. stuff about Brazil, Afro-Brazilians, you know, implying that he said um, they're not even good enough for procreating anymore, which I mean, yeah, it's not a, not a, not a very informed or like sort of, you know, progressive kind of guy or inclusive at least. Um, I think like what we talked yeah. about in our labor video, where we talked about how uh, racism is so often used for political purposes. These mm. people that he aimed his racism at, he knew it was a safe bet because these aren't the people who vote for him. And these aren't the people mm. that yeah. benefit from his policies. Yeah. I, as you noticed with, uh, with a lot of the, the, he seems to be very much from, a, a lighter skinned sort of group of Brazilians that he represents. Yeah. I, I, I don't think they'd be classed as white. I don't think they'd class themselves as white, but not, as you say, um, Afro-Caribbeans or, or dark or Afro-Brazilians. Yeah. 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 Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, I guess they would, I, I assume he's, he would come from the, the class of people that are um, Portuguese, uh, the, the yes. descendants of Portuguese, um, settlers um and whatnot from the colonial era um right um yeah i mean also the other thing is that he also did present himself as the law and order candidate so why did people vote for bolsonaro why was bolsonaro popular so obviously if lula and the workers party were so lovely and informed and inclusive why uh did bolsonaro get in um and a lot of it comes down to the corruption scandal so i think we'll talk about that probably in a bit, but I just want to talk about sort of what Bolsonaro stood for. So with the corruption scandal, the car wash scandal, um, that's where the, mm, you know, um, unpopular sort of element towards the Workers' Party came. And then also you had Luke, Lula was actually locked up. He went into jail, yes. um, which kind of, you know, knocked him out of, out of leadership for a number of years. Uh, and Bolsonaro then used this moment to then sort of come up with his own brand of right-wing populism um, but a big thing was, of course, law and order. He's seen as the law and order candidate. So, you know, crime, there's a big crime, a problem with crime in, in Brazil. Uh, yeah. And he was seen saying, so like, we're going to go in, we're going to shoot the criminals, and it's going to be law and order, you know, sort of that kind of narrative, um, yeah. which you do get in, in America, you get in a lot of countries. Um, I think that the, was part the sort of that. crime levels that you see, it's almost a meme in itself, isn't it? Like everybody, whether you watch film or play games, such as Max Payne, mm -hmm. Call of Duty, like, you know these sort yeah. of crime-ridden sort of favelas where you, yes. you go and horrible things can happen to you. Right. Areas run right. by gangs. Yeah. It's a known thing. Yeah. 
or yeah. a known meme at least, whether whether it has the basis in reality, it doesn't matter because it's just in the public consciousness how bad the situation is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, and the other thing is, okay, I mean, obviously, we, we it's only been a few hours since uh, the results have been out, I mean, less than a day. Yeah. Uh, but the I, So there is still the, the threat. I mean, we can't write off this idea of a coup happening. Um, no. There, you know, there was a general that was very supportive of Bolsonaro that um, had said, you know, if law and order is being threatened and chaos is, 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 is something that might happen in this country, the army has to step in. That's their right. It's their duty. Um, so you do have comments like that that occurred um, that have been said. And it, I, I don't think it's, you know, uh, Bolsonaro did also mention that the voting machines, because they're digital, they can be hacked, they're not reliable. Um, so a lot of stuff that you can say sounds they're like... getting their voting machines from Hugo Chavez, have they? Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, at least it's closer this time. <laughs> at least they're next door this time. <laughs> um, yeah. But there is that, that, that still could happen. I mean... Yeah. We, we're sitting yeah. here less than 24 hours in default. We, who knows that within the next six or seven days, something happens. I mean, it was a January 6th happened long after the results um, in America. So if, if we want to use that same thing that Trump, he's Trump and this is like America, um, this is a divided nation that's not going to accept yeah. the result. That could still happen. That's still a, a realistic possibility. And Chomsky said the same thing as well as um, Vijay Prashant. They both said that that's still possible. Um, yeah, yeah well, it happened in Bolivia, the country next door. Pardon? Like it what happened in Bolivia, the country next door. Right. Where the military... Right, exactly. Yes. Like, well, I just want to jump back. So when we, when originally this, um, this tide that we were talking about with the pink tide, that was followed mm. by what passed as a blue tide, this wave of reaction, conservative, that one, and that happened in response to the tide. It seems to have been the second pink tide that sort of undone that. Uh, but this blue tide was very much American-backed, military-backed. It was an attempt to stop the leftist governments coming to power. So it's well within the realms of possibility for something like this happening. Internally, with, with Bolsonaro, with his, in his group and the military, I wouldn't be surprised if the Americans went on the phone to any allies they've got in Brazil... Mm working out mm, what mm, their strategy is, if anything, they will definitely mm, be weighing mm, up their risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, there's also the other element of, um, you know, you have coup, the classic coup with the military or the West being involved, but there's also this thing called, uh, which Vijay uh, Prashad called lawfare. So warfare, but lawfare. Um, and this is also quite concerning because if you consider that Lula was locked up, and then those uh, that that conviction was overturned by the constitutional court. Um, you can see how law can be used to you know uh, influence the politics and, and put someone in jail and put yep. whoever maybe overturn the result or something. So even though Lula has won the presidential, there's still the congressional and the Senate, and um, he still has to make deals. Um, he hasn't got, as far as I understand, he doesn't have the legislature. Quite, uh, quite yet. Uh, so, yeah, there's, they could also just use legal and legislature uh, mechanisms, impeachment yeah. perhaps, um, to overturn, you know, overturn the result uh, or something like that. So that that, that 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 chance still exists as well. Yeah, yeah. I say even though he's won this election, and hmm. by, by the official uh, results, by 
fairly narrow margin. By the seams of it, this could have been a much bigger margin that the win. Mm. It seems to be a lot of reports of um, in the areas police stopping voters in working class areas. Uh, we've got mm. something here from the New York Times of actually up to 500 buses from working class and rural areas being stopped to, to arrive polling booths. <laughs> I've just got here right. as well. I'm going to, I'm going to pull Let up me just share that with you. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, yes, um, Brazil elections officials demand answers for police stops of buses carrying voters. Okay, there were dozens of reports on social media on Sunday that federal highway agents were stopping vehicles and questioning people in several states across Brazil. Yeah, so this is quite a, um, yeah, this is quite a, quite a, it's a clearly dirty tactic uh, to influence yeah. the numbers, just stopping the buses. I also heard that people had said that this, uh, the, the, the chief of the federal highway um, agency, there'd been calls from Lula to actually, um, you know, investigate him or something like that uh, because of this. Uh, I, I'm yes. not gonna, I don't know if that's true yet, but, but at, at least it's true that they were stopping people um, on the highway. And of course, these would most likely be Lula voters. And because of Bolsonaro's stance on law and order and being very pro-police, um, I guess the agents would have been, you know, uh, or the police force at least would be in his favor. So this would be yeah. the influence in favor of, of and I think they probably gathered from the regions as well that these are happening in poor areas. The voters are statistically more likely to be voting for Lula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, I think you just you mentioned something earlier. I just want to bring up. Oh yes, yeah, so I want to go back to the the, the the pink tide again. So in two thousand and seven ish, when sort of we had the pink tide one point um, you had uh, a certain spread of countries. So you know you you had obviously Venezuela, you had Bolivia, Nicaragua, um, Nicaragua. But this time, if you want to call it yeah, pink tide two um, in fact, it's actually gone further. It's gone way further than before. So before, um, obviously, you did have Lula back then. You had Brazil back then. Um, but now you've got Brazil, you've got Colombia, you've got Peru, you've got, of course, Venezuela still, you've got Bolivia still, um, Argentina as well. Yeah, Mexico, uh, Chile. So the only countries that actually haven't been taken by the blue tide this time, uh, pink tide this time, is Paraguay, Uruguay, uh, Ecuador. Ecuador. Ecuador and 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 then even um, the sort of tiny republics El Salvador, of Honduras, yeah. I think, are still yeah. not. Yes, no, so it's certainly uh, gone further, way further. This time. Yeah, it's gone way further this time. This this, this time is uh, it's broken from the ground. Um, yeah. and now that you've got Brazil, which is the most important, biggest economy of South America, in the pocket uh, of the you know in in, in the tide, um, this is pretty good. Uh, yeah, it, it is. But these yeah. are really the type of results that keep Hillary Clinton up at night. This is exactly what we want to see. You, can, you know that American, the American State Department will be yeah. watching this very closely. And panicking, they call it their backyard. And this isn't what they want to see. They're well, that, like, that's exactly yeah, it, right? That's yeah, exactly like, it. Yeah, the socialism of the 21st century as the coin has been termed. Mm. One of the main aspects of it, regardless of the ignoring the, the socialism bit, is, in their minds, anti-Americanism. The refusal to toe the line of American foreign policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the big word here, Monroe Doctrine, right? So yeah. it's the 200th anniversary nearly of the Monroe Doctrine. And if you're not sure what that is, the Monroe Doctrine is the 
American doctrine that says everything west in in our hemisphere in the uh, northern North America and South America that's that's our backyard that's those are our interests and no other power whether it's Britain or France or later of course with Russia etc um, yeah. no one else is going to have uh, say or sway over here um, and this is this is a huge sort of yeah a, you know these are countries now led by people that are happy to and are engaging with China, Russia, and other nations, as we've seen with BRICS and with the yeah. Belt and Road Initiative. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, certainly a big uh, slap in the face of the Monroe Doctrine. Mm. And there's, I'm just add to that, Iran as well, which is something that I wasn't really yes, aware yeah. that there was a big connection, but Lula and Iran were very linked back in the day to the point that mm. I believe that uh, America actually requested when they wanted to set up what was basically the the basis for the G20 deal with, with Iran mm. of supplying them with uh, fuel for uranium. Mm. They used Brazil, Lula, as a as sort of a proxy to go through, sort of knowing that he had this line of communication. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Okay. So actually, so he's sort of a precursor then. So he made that deal possible, the the the, the nuclear think, deal. Yeah, I, don't, I think I think it was yeah. one sort of precursor for, the, for that deal. Um, the right, idea right. of getting around to talk about the idea yeah. of we'll provide you with fuel for a civilian nuclear reactor. Yes. In exchange for you not you providing us with the yeah. enriched stuff that you're not meant to yeah. be having. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know that. That is interesting. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, in terms of, I mean, coming back to the actual sort of Brazil itself, um, I think there's an important point, of course, we've mentioned sort of how, where Lula came from, um, his first few years in power, how he built his coalitions, how he got the support of business as well as workers, as, as well as left-wing Christians. Um, but the actual sort of uh, political expediency, or what do you want to call it, sort of in terms of how to make deals in Congress yeah. is an interesting discussion. And that obviously then leads into how they got into trouble and how he went to jail. And it's also about this, this all, all about this car wash thing. So, yeah, I think we should go into that because yeah. it was seen as the biggest, it started out as the biggest corruption investigation uh, or scandal uh, in Brazil, and in fact now is called the biggest investigation slash scandal in the world um, because it actually went beyond, way beyond just Brazil. And by the end of it, there's a, a booming, sort of banging statistic here that by the end of the um, investigation, you had something like, let me just get the statistic up here, a number of sort of leaders from other countries so it wasn't just Lula that got locked up. And bear in mind, he actually got, they, they, they waived that later. We'll come back to that. But you had presidents from other countries who went to jail um, because of the scandal. So it involved more than one government. It involved so many countries uh, and so many companies. Uh, it was huge. It was huge. Um, so just to give you some background, it's Operation Car Wash is what people talk about and they usually talk about this. And yeah. that name comes from, the fact that it started out as a very little investigation into sort of standard money laundering uh, and there was a car wash being used and the 
police realized, okay, this is a, a money laundering operation. They're using this car wash to launder drug money or whatever, some sort of normal organized crime, but on a small scale. They then found out, actually, no, it wasn't gangsters. It was guys working for Petrobras, so the state-owned oil company, the Brazilian oil company, and, oil, and Brazil has lots of oil. Um, so it became, that, that's, where, that's where it came from. That's the name came from. And then it obviously grew from there when they realized that, hold on a second, the state oil company is using a car wash to money launder. So where, how far does this go? And, and that's, that's where it started. Um, but it's actually a fascinating story. Um, and and the, the Guardian does a really good, um, huge article on it. I can't read the whole thing. It's, you know, it's a good, solid read. But it's very, very interesting because it shows you lots of elements to corruption and deal making. I don't know if you want to, want to comment on this, um, Chris, before I get into it or not. Yeah, well, I was just sort of thinking about how how far reaching this sort of went because I remember this was a not the Panama Papers, the one before that Paradise Papers, I think. Mm. Um, also, this went as far as like Singapore, Brazil, uh, Peru, mm -hmm. Mexico. So, mm -hmm. A lot of people were sort of involved in this. I look at it brought down by this as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, no. Yeah. Loads of people were brought down by this. I, I think I'll, I'll find the, um, you know, who's brought down by this in the article. Let me just share the actual article and then we can um, sort of comment as we go through it. Because this was the scandal which um, defined and broke not just Lula, but Brazil. This, this, and still to this day. Um, so when people actually voted now, they voted for Lula because they do love Lula. Even when he was in jail, he actually still polled ahead of uh, in the previous election when Bolsonaro and uh, I forgot the gentleman's name, Hadare or Hadadara or something like that, uh, the, the Workers' Party candidate they put forward in the previous election. They polled who is more popular between those two, but they also put Lula's name down. And Lula was still more popular than both of them, even though he was in jail. Um, so that just shows you the kind of support that he gets. But yeah, this, this scandal, though, destroyed and still has affected the Workers' Party. So it's actually a little bit questionable as to how how much sort of survivability, because once Lula retires, let's assume he does yeah. this one term, um, whether the, the Workers' Party can break through that, um, you know, that, that legacy of, of the corruption, which which came from this car wash thing. Well, so Lula's let me just open the car wash. predecessor yeah. was actually brought down as well, wasn't she? Um, yes, yes. Dilma, Dilma Rousseff, Rousseff, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah. She, she was also impeached. At the, I think mm -hmm. it's always important to, we know how corrupt politicians can be in the in mm. really all states so i think it's always interesting to say to look at not only who was doing this but also mm. who is exposing it i think it's mm. it's it says a lot who it was who actually pulled this information up and what was their motives in doing so because i can't imagine it was just to uh shine a light of honesty on politicians when these are the same people that not, then allowed bolsonaro to take over who himself has been indicted for corruption and so has his office. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, um, but there's an interesting thing about the car wash investigation has now been... Okay, let, let me let me make that comment at the end. I, I don't want to talk about the end <laughs> of, of this. So yeah, I'll come back to that point, though. It's a very important point about the investigation and how far it will go or has gone or, uh, and, who, you know, some limitations on it now. Um, but yeah, so as this thing says, as I've already explained, car wash named because it was money laundering. It seemed like a small thing. And then they found that it was this individual here, uh, Nestor Severo, uh, who you know, started the, the, the turning point of the car wash corruption. So 
the actual cop was quite interesting. It's actually a Japanese guy or a, Japan, a guy with a Japanese name, at least. Um, Ishii uh, is the name of the, the cop that started this and he was famous. Newton Ishii. Um, yeah. And anyway, so yes, they started, they arrested him and then they started realizing that this is a lot bigger. Uh, and it sort of led to a lot of um, changes in also in the way they investigated corruption. So plea bargaining was introduced. That meant that instead of, um, so that someone who's caught could bargain for less years or less of a fine or whatever, if they gave up more information. And this meant that now they could go further and further up the chain of the corruption and see who was involved. And eventually what they found was that it was to the highest level. Um, you had people in all parties um, involved in some way. And if you're not sure, like, how does state corruption sort of work, um, this is a good example. So I'll give you sort of, um, um, yeah, an example from this. And this is how it happens in South Africa too. So generally with corruption, you will have um, a contract, a government contract. So something needs to be done. It could be a bridge. It could be anything. Um, the construction of something or the providing of some service. So you will file a cost for that, let's say 100 million of whatever currency. And it appears that that's a fully costed, you know, um, project. Meanwhile, actually, the real cost of the project is like 75 million. And the 25 remaining then is just put into um, and build as services, consultation, um, uh, yeah, consultancy. So there's, there's a thousand different ways that they usually structure it or price it or whatever. But that's how it's done. And then that 25 million, which isn't actually necessary, it's just made up stuff that then is then siphoned off either directly into a company which provides those services or products, um, uh, which is owned by the person or usually a family member or friend, or it goes into a Swiss bank account or something like that. And that's what they did here. They had a certain percentage on these big um, projects, whether it was an oil refinery, whether it was a pipe, or it doesn't matter. There was loads of um, projects where they just found ways to siphon off the money. And that's how it worked. And that's how it worked here. Um, so anyway, but they found that it was almost the entire workers' party. And because Petrobras, the state-owned company, was so big, um, there was just millions and millions of, um, yeah, millions of dollars being handed around and being siphoned off. And it consumed basically the whole party. As you said, Delma Rousseff and um, Lula, Lula in the end. But the thing with Lula is that it was found that he hadn't actually benefited himself. And... They overturned the result because the way um, he had, what was it, something with implication. So he had been implicated, but in fact, actually, he had not benefited. And um, the way that the prosecution had crafted their case um, was political. It was it was intended to try and bring him down. And, and the, yeah. the Constitution overturned so, it. Yeah. I don't know if you know more about that, Chris. I just to go into that. So when you say the prosecution, it wasn't just the the lawyers. This was actually the judge as well. So the mm. judge himself was a man called um, Sergio Morori. Uh, the mm. interceptor did, did an expose where they showed that his decisions were partial and political, that mm. he was passing down advice, investigation leads for the uh, reasoning to prevent the Workers' Party from winning the 2018 election. And this guy was mm. actually nominate, 
given the position by Bolsonaro, nominated to be Minister of Justice for Public Security when mm. Bolsonaro won. So mm, 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 mm. the judge himself right. was an right. opponent and part of the the opposing political party. Mm, so mm, yeah, it seems like a crime was committed, but then the investigators themselves were also committing their own crime, effectively. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So it's interesting. But so the thing that this, 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 the, the Guardian article also mentioned, though, is that in order to get the extra support from different sections of the population, as well as also just within political systems, so you have the Congress and the Senate, whatever, in order to get people to sign up to a deal or to vote uh, in favor of something in, in, in Congress or whatever. This is where, you know, Lula, as well as the party had to then make those deals and, and, you know, um, what's the word sort of, uh, got themselves involved in, in this corruption. Uh, yeah. obviously there was enrichment too, personal enrichment, but a large part of it or a big part of it at least was this thing about, okay, well, in order for you, so someone would say in order for me to get, you know, to vote for you on this bill or whatever, um, you know, they would give this person a seat or a job or their company would get a, a contract, something like this. So that's a part of the corruption, which I think people perhaps need to consider is that yeah. if you don't, or if they didn't make those deals, then they wouldn't have passed certain bills, which means their government would have failed. So it, you know, it comes down to trying to be a progressive and a deeply corrupt system. It's all yes, exactly. So yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I don't want to defend corruption, and no. obviously, the ideal system, you know, is to get rid of it and stamp it out. Because later on, it, it, it you know, it, 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 you know, it eventually becomes a huge problem. It eventually, undermines your work anyway. Um, yeah. Even if you get people to vote the bills, the bills mean nothing because the implementation is not there. It's all people are just there for money. Um, so later, it can rot, rot the system. Um, but you can you can kind of see a little bit as to the, the the rationale is that well okay if we don't give these people who are our opponents or who are only here because of expediency anyway um, if we don't give them something we won't pass this legislation we'll lose and then when the election comes people will say well what have you guys done and we'll say we've done nothing um, because we can't pass it because we can't we haven't given these corrupt people what they want so it's a very interesting um, example of of, of of that sort of fact. In politics, um, in yeah, at least some kind of, in sort of a bourgeois political system, right? Right. You have to sit down with these, with with, with these yeah. sort of opponents and mm. make a deal. And if you make a deal with thieves, the chances are what they want is stolen in the first place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the, the article does say that some of that. Um, you know, some of those uh, things that they wanted to pass were built on sort of ethical quicksand. So yeah, the people that they bought off, who then did vote pr uh, sort of momentarily, um, later, you know, gave up or, or turned because they needed more money or they wanted more. But, so it, it's, I, I don't think, it, I, I don't want to sit here and say like, oh yeah, well, this sort of corruption is fine because that's how you get stuff done. Well, well <laughs> yeah, no. it, it shows that, it's, that the, 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 the complex nature of, why this seemingly good party that wanted to do good things got themselves into such a mess. Part of it, obviously, is because of just personal uh, enrichment and, and greed. Um, part of it is an attempt to try and get progress, to make progress. Um, yeah. Yeah. This, again, this is something we have to highlight before 
issues that we've seen, similar issues that we've had to, we've had to see in other um, progressive parties who, that have gone through the, um, the parliamentary or the democratic route to socialism as, as they caught yeah. coin it, like Venezuela, like Bolivia, mm. and the difficulties mm. and roadblocks that we've seen thrown up with them. And again, we, we're not saying we're not saying the words, but <laughs> mm. so we say, well, you wouldn't be having these problems if you listened to us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Our exactly, approach, yeah. It, it just highlights that these are the obstacles that these parties go mm. through, um, because mm. the opponents will throw throw these things up. So. Yeah, it's yeah. difficult to get. Yeah. No, it shows you. It shows you. Yeah, when you when you even if you win in a bourgeois parliamentary system, these are some of the the challenges uh, and and things. You know, it's not just as simple as win win the election. Uh, okay, well you have to yeah. you know yeah, unless you win everything. But also that's the other part is that with the campaigning, um, the other side is which we mentioned before is that the power of money. So even if you have great ideals and ideas, uh, you need money to win to campaign. Yeah. To and also, it's not just buying books and films and speeches and whatever. It's also just like there's a local candidate who has already he knows all of the local stuff like the back of his hand. He's their guy. They love him. He wants a kickback. Um, that's what he'll do. You'll get his voters with that. So it's 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 there's money on that side too. You need to have money, or, yeah, in order to win in that sense too. Um, yeah, but it, as you already said, this is this is the the messiness of bourgeois politics of. Of market democracy, uh, in the real sense, market democracy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Democracy for sale, by the sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just sent me a Twitter. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, this is here. a video that we I managed to find on Twitter of uh, basically what I was saying with the police blocking voters. Mm. Um, a small mm -hmm. video that seems to seems to show exactly that. Okay. Play that. Uh, so, so the caption above this is the PRF, which I guess the police is making a blitz at the entrance of Kuwait today. Huge absurdity. It's already driving away the population of the countryside. Someone needs to do something. The people can't vote. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. I mean, Right. I mean, already, already, obviously, the, the judge has already commented and said that they, they believe that something has uh, gone, you know, was... was yeah, was, so an investigation is being lodged. Um, yeah. But obviously, it, if our sort of speculation is, is correct, which I think it is, that this is targeted at suspected Lula uh, areas, mm -hmm. the margins of popularity are, are likely much higher than the official polls show. Mm -hmm. Obviously, mm -hmm. that... Yeah. Popularity means nothing when it term comes to who holds the reins of uh, force in a country. The military can still overturn this if, if they wish. Mm -hmm. It will be interesting mm -hmm. to see what happens in the weeks and months inside mm -hmm. Brazil and surrounding its neighbours. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Lula in the past was uh, str had strong ties with Hugo Chavez and obviously that that will have inherited now to Maduro. Uh, same with Bolivia. He, he's got friends around him. I'd, I'd love to see this coalition come tighter. And I hope it does. They've got the, I can't remember the conference name of it, but the leftist uh, con conference of Latin co countries. 
so I'm hoping to see sort of a return. Yes. With a vengeance of the policies that we read about. Obviously, I was quite young at the time, so I, I don't really remember firsthand him in well, the media I've, at all. <laughs> I've got I've got the example of the flagship policy, which um, he uh, set up and is, is most famous for. Why, why is he loved? So obviously, we've talked about corruption. We've talked about the one. We've talked about bricks. We've talked about all this kind of stuff. Importantly, why? So why was he so popular? So yeah, the flagship policy, and also I, I had to check up on this. I, I remember some vague stuff about you know him being a sort of helping the poor, but I mean, what did that mean? How did he help the poor? So uh, if you look here, this is from Brown uh, University, so not exactly a, a left-wing source. Uh, talks about his policies, but um, and his sort of leadership. Um, the most important thing was this thing called Bolso Familia. Um, which was a family stipend, stipend was created in 2003. And essentially, uh, those in absolute poverty, so families with uh, an income of less than uh, 75 rias or less than 75 rias or about $35 a month um, were entitled to this. And basically, what it meant was that they would get this money um, as long as, so if, if they had kids, so the program the program grants a sum of money per child, up to three children, so $70 a month, um, as long as they are vaccinated, stay in school, and do not engage in illegal child labor. So if you think about that, it's a very clever policy because it was aimed at obviously growing the human capital. So the problem with poverty is usually that people don't have opportunities. And why don't they have opportunities? Because they haven't had the right education. So it tries to give money for the immediate poverty of the day, uh, which these families obviously were going through. And then it tries to deal with the poverty of the future. So keeping yeah. them in school uh, and keeping them vaccinated too. So, you know, reducing the cost on the state too later when they get sick, you are vaccinated, which is much cheaper than dealing with uh, the full form of any illness. Um, so, yeah. And then, of course, the illegal child labor, the money obviously then is to... Uh, stop them taking the money and also just going to work and pretending to go to school or something like that. Um, because obviously child labor would give them money too. Um, but yeah, so you can see the the sort of three-pronged sort of uh, approach there. Very clever, actually. Yeah. Um, and it was Rewarding massive. behavior that you want and pay, pay people to stay away from behavior that you, you're trying to avoid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this was this is what he's and this also formed part of form zero 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 hunger uh sort of the bigger campaign um uh, but obviously I, 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 there would have been many policies i mean if you have any government that's doing welfare there's usually an array of different things with yeah. different metrics and whatnot but i think this is the big this this is the big one this was the flagship the most famous policy um from from lula um which affected and helped a lot of people millions of people um, so as of 2010, 12.4 million households were in the program. Uh, one sixth of Brazil's strides in poverty reduction can be attributed to this program. So yeah, one sixth of all poverty reduction was from just that program alone. Um, and it costs only 0.5% of GDP, which you consider like defense spending. You know, if you're in NATO, it's 2%. Um, yeah. And here, if you take half a percent of the GDP, you, you dealt with one sixth of poverty um, reduction, which is which is a pretty. I mean, that's what a government should be doing, right? It's exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, what, with it, with him going Go after vaccinations as well. 
Mm-hmm. It just makes mm-hmm. you think what COVID in Brazil would have been like under him instead of Bolsonaro, because Bolsonaro mm. uh, was a denier for a very long time of, of COVID until yeah. right until the point where he got it. Yeah, right. Yes. So, I mean, obviously, come back to Bolsonaro, that, that was a disaster. Um, I mean, Brazil actually had one of the worst death rates per, per capita. Um, yeah. yeah, because Bolsonaro was one of these characters that didn't believe in masks and very macho, you know, sort of kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't real. Oh, Trumpian in that respect. That was very Trump-like. Yes, that part yeah. was extremely Trump-like. Yeah, yeah. Just want a quick, one quick, quick one before we uh, move on from this part here. Just also, he did increase the minimum wage. So the other thing that prominent thing he did was increasing the minimum wage from two hundred real to five hundred real, which is in U.S. dollars, a hundred dollars to two hundred and five dollars. Um, uh, and according to Brown University, this created thirteen million new jobs. Uh, so there's always that debate, you know, people say like, oh, if you increase the minimum wage, you're just going to increase the prices and that's it. That's all it does. It just creates inflation. Um, but no, as Brown University says here, that's 13 million jobs and shows you yeah, the value of redistributing income. If you put more money in the hands of people, poor people, they are consumers. They buy stuff and therefore there's, you know, more cafes, more restaurants, more clothes to be purchased, whatever it is that they need, um, you know, those match those come up with uh come up with that increase in minimum wage so yeah nice bit of economics there so yeah that, that was that's why lula was so popular for those policies minimum wage and uh the stipend for going to school and being vaccinated but yeah um i don't know chris so we've covered quite a lot i don't know if you want to, what else you would like to cover on this um i think we have sort of done a fair bit haven't we like obviously mm. any subject that we bite is we always seem to bite off more than we can chew. Uh, yes. Anything could be, anything could be stretched out to a series because you can. Well, I, I think what we really set out to do here was to sort of give people sort of a refresher who these characters are, and really yeah. why this is significant. Obviously, this we didn't see with the Peruvian election or the Bolivian election that wasn't on the BBC. Um, I don't think that would have been very highlighted on, on CNN in the States. Um, but this election has a bit, um, as we said earlier on, even the fact that Barack Obama at one point called this man the most popular politician in the world. Mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of people have, like I've seen everybody on the left from the Marxist left to the wishy-washy Owen Jones uh, center left uh, congratulating the win uh, so i think it is significant and it's it's going to stick into people's sort of imaginations quite significantly i think and i think yeah. a lot of people are quite optimistic and interested to see what's going to go on in the future yeah 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 i, I think this guy is a social democrat um yeah. he's not a marxist leninist but he was a union worker he increased the minimum wage he engaged with China, um, you know, BRICS as well as the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, is very popular, as you said, globally as well as with his people. Uh, I'm hopeful to see what will happen if. Oh, that was one thing that I think we should definitely mention, that I've completely neglected. Talking about what is going to happen in the future, which you were just mentioning there, is that there is this currency that Noam Chomsky and Vijay Prashad mentioned that you know, a new currency uh, that might be pushed in South America. And previously, Venezuela had given a, a go at this, but obviously Venezuela is not as big 
economically and, and politically in the region. And of course, it's hamstrung by the US. Um, yeah. However, if Lula gets behind it with that economy, uh, you might see the emergence of this currency. Uh, and it's called the SUR. So, um, yeah, they discussed this, Prashad and uh, Chomsky on, on Democracy Now!, called the SUR, um, which that would be very interesting to sort of, again, break the hegemony of the dollar as well as um, the IMF and the World Bank and whatnot. That would certainly um, have that power if it was yeah. introduced, if it yeah. did push push that. Um, obviously, it's too early to say whether you'll even do that. Um, yeah. And there's lots of things to consider with that. You know, if, you know, the, the, the jump to conclusion is always going to be like the euro. Well, I just hope that it's like the euro, but nothing like the euro. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, yeah. The, the euro, we very much head, is dependent on the American dollar behind it. Uh, mm. Where it comes to independent countries doing this in their own oppressed continent, it's usually a surefire fire way to get your house bombed. Like if you look at uh, yeah. Gaddafi, who famously right. posed a similar idea for uh, all Africa con currency. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Any sort of egregious threat to American hegemony like that is bound mm. to get a response. Mm. And mm. hopefully Lula's is thinking, this is my second round. I can be more radical than last time. I'm older. Mm. I'm going to make sure the best years aren't behind me. That this is this is the term that people remember. The world is in a very different state than it was in 2016. Obviously, uh, 2006. Sorry, we had when we when we were living through the war of war and terror. That felt like the event. But now we've we've gone past that. We've gone through about three or four different once in a lifetime crises since then, and it now feels mm. like. <laughs> The war on terror was was a tre treasured childhood memory at this point. <laughs> yes, yes, those were peaceful times. Yeah. <laughs> Children yeah. dancing uh, in the street, laughing. It was lovely. Yeah, yeah, it was a lovely time. <laughs> lovely time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, the final point I want to make on this thing is just that yeah. So uh, Vijay Prashad said that Lula did campaign this time to the left of Lula himself. So Lula as president previous president, he was campaigning to the left of that. So yeah, we are hopefully going to see a, a more left-wing Lula who will perhaps be more ambitious. He has said very positive things that he doesn't he doesn't want to do the corruption. Uh, he wants to sort of purge this corruption stuff from the party and, and be quite firm about that. Um, and yeah, we'll hopefully see what, what else he has in store. And I hope that along with all the other sort of left-leaning governments in South America, that they can come up with some sort of you know, ambitious um, prog program uh, and link it up with what's going on in the world and, and, and uh, we can see some advancements there. That, that would be great. Yeah. I would love to see that. Uh, poverty yeah, reduction well. and uh, trade and whatnot. Um, but yeah, let's, let's uh, we'll leave it there. And uh, next week, I have no idea what our topic will be. So we will update you. Well, I guess it'll be a surprise. So yeah. <laughs> we'll see you then. Thank you very much. Yes. Right, see you next week. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Proletarian Radio. We aim to bring you the best Marxist analysis on current affairs, revolutionary history, and theory. Do like, comment, subscribe, 
and share our content to help us reach the widest possible audience. We are a small organization with limited resources, and we need workers' support if we are to grow and fulfill our mission. If you are able to make a one-off or regular donation, no matter how small, please visit our website at thecommunists.org and register as a supporter.